Hello, you're listening to Deathbed Discs with your host, Jade Robles. On this podcast, I ask my guests to bring five songs that they want played at their funeral. In 2018, three people very close to me died in the space of eight months, and it changed my perspective on grief and death forever. It opened my eyes to the often sad, strange, and sometimes even a little bit funny world of both death and grief, and how important it is to talk openly about it. And what better way to talk about it than through music? Today, I'm joined by award-winning animator, children's scriptwriter, illustrator and artist, Ted Dewan. Best known for creating the Emmy award-winning animated television series, Bing, voiced by none other than Mark Rylance and screened in over 80 countries. Ted also creates large-scale exhibition pieces and public art installations. Ted's work is pure magic and creative imagination, enjoyed by children and adults across the world. Welcome, Ted. Well, thank you. That's a very flattering introduction. I, I hope I live up to that. Um, it was a joy to write it. Um, thank you so much for coming on Deathbed Discs. I'm really excited for Me this too. for this show. I was actually catching up on some research, and I actually watched a couple of episodes today of Bing. And oh, I um, wonder which ones. I watched one, the first one that came up on YouTube, one with the fireworks. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, that was that was an early one, yeah. Um, Those are good. They're really good. So yeah, so I'm super excited for for this evening. Oh, so good. do you know there's one about death actually? Is there? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the one. Yeah, there's one where a, a, a balloon being bef- blows up and befriends a balloon, and it pops, and he then has to go through all the five stages of grief, all within <gasps> seven minutes for toddlers. Oh wow! Because yeah. that's actually your, one of my questions in a bit, but it was around how you would approach death from a child's perspective and, you know, approaching that topic and, and how to get children to talk about it. Well, there it is. We did two death episodes, one with a uh, a butterfly getting squashed and then this other one uh, called Balloon. But I, I think I prefer the Balloon one, actually. I've actually been reading Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's a journalist who has been documenting and researching sort of palliative care. You know, her work spans like 30 years and she's one of the ones, I'm not sure if she's the one that wrote The Five Stages of Grief, but very much did a lot of work on The Five Stages of Grief. I've just been reading her book on grief and giving and it outlines the five stages of grief. You mean she came up with the the concept? Yes, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was a Swiss psychiatrist. She's written loads of books around grief and death. And one of her first ones was on death and dying. And she interviewed a lot of dying patients and um, documents the interviews and, and all of the learnings. And then the last one that she did, actually before she passed away, not too long ago, was on grief and giving. But yeah, that was just sort of repeating her model I of see. the five stages of grief. Don't you think that's one of the most fire? That's one of the most useful, quick, p- 
posters for some big thing in life is the Anything. five stages of grief. It's just, it, you, you know, never mind uh, what's, I can't even remember most of the acronyms for other important things in life. But, but that one, mm. that one's really got it. That's one of the most potent little bundles of wisdom yeah. that's out there. And, it, and it, 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 it can be applied to absolutely everything. I've um, also applied it a lot to a breakup. And to anything else, really, it's just, it's a very natural sort of human mm -hmm. progression, I think, to go through all of those. Take notice, next time you break something that you really like, mm. see if you don't go through all five yeah. stages within about a few minutes. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's so true. You really do, though. That's so funny. So um, just to start my first question, have you ever thought about your funeral before, Ted? I have, I think once... I started planning my father's funeral 11 years ago. Mm. I, I think I then started to realize, oh, yeah, someone's going to be thinking about this. And it's, uh, um, although I'm not going to be there, I, I, I've thought about it, but I wouldn't want it to be too prescribed. I think what I appreciated as someone who, with my family, put together a funeral, and, and it was kind of, in some cases, a little bit wacky and improvised, it was nice to be able to make something happen that I didn't feel like I was following following instructions that if I had failed to follow them in the way that my father may have wanted, I would mm -hmm. have upset him. So it, it was open enough. I know he would have absolutely loved it and been proud of it. So I wouldn't want to be too prescriptive. So in that sense, I mean, I've... And it, and it changes, you know. Mm. I think when you're younger, it's all a bit, you put two fingers up to death. And, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> and that's a great attitude. And then as it kind of moves closer and you, you realize how big it is, you, mm. you, <laughs> you know, it's still going to win. But uh, um, the, 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 the two fingers sort of change. Mm. I think it changes to a middle, just a middle finger. <laughs> and, uh, but it's still funny. While, while you're alive... I still like to to laugh at it, but it, when when it's right there, mm. or when I'm on the other side, uh, I still I, I'd like to have some laughter, but maybe not everyone's going to be in the mood for that. Keep keep it joyful. Keep it a celebration. Spiritual. I think keep it a celebration. I Don't think make that's it, a key word. Yeah, a celebration and not uh, not too goofy, not too serious. Mm. Kind of in that sweet spot where, you know, like. Uh, I suppose, like the, the ending of The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. Got that bittersweet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think with that, I guess um, a natural question would be to ask, do you think you're afraid of death? Would you say that you're afraid of death? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm afraid. This, this uh, past experience we've all been going through because we're in the middle of the, the COVID pandemic mm. as we record this, it's, it's a nuisance to be thinking practically about it and, you know, getting people to sign your will. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and just thinking, oh, what a mess I'm going to leave behind if I pop off now. I, I think I'm, I'm more afraid of leaving a great big stinking mess behind <laughs> of undone paperwork and passwords no one things can find. Things to archive. And, and <laughs> things to choose to throw out and blowing a year of somebody's life, most likely my daughter, having to go through this and make those decisions. And I think, ah, oh, no, that would be a terrible legacy to leave. Imagine that. So I'm kind of afraid of leaving too much crap 
behind both both material crap and logistics crap. Mm. Because I just I just love the idea of having it all sorted out and clean and mm. off it goes. And here, this is for you. Yeah. You know, put put a down payment on a flat for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I later mentioned them, but I'm going to mention them now. A friend of mine and his dad have just set up a company called Aura. I call it essentially a bit of a Facebook for people who are at the end of life, but also not end of life. Um, basically, it's a place where you can sort of organize all your wishes and leave practical information. It's an online platform and they've just launched and I've worked with them quite a bit and um They've actually come on board and are sponsoring deathbed discs um, and they're doing amazing work. Yeah, they've kind of established that need for people to leave those practical things. What a wonderful gateway, Yeah, actually. When you think about it, that's the first thing you'd think of using an online platform for. Because it's like, if I if I go, then at least you got this. You can find this easy enough. Yeah, it is. It's like, what do you want to have done with, with all of those books that you have? or with, yeah. or with And then, you know, all the way from the most practical things to things such as, I want to be cremated or I want to be buried in this this coffin in made out of this material um, and these are my funeral plans and then basically it connects it with like all of your family and friends and it's yeah it's really good and um, yeah they've just launched but I think it's going to do a really good job as well of opening up those conversations. Exactly that's where that's you wanted to start with the kind of easy low-hanging fruit about Mm. some stuff and then it moves on to bigger things and then there's a certain point where you need it in a will uh, but um, for the uncontroversial stuff, what a great idea. And yeah. then, of course, it can lead to all sorts of things about uh, how you want it celebrated and and, and, the, mm. and and kind of establish an attitude that you hope people will have as you go down the hole mm-hmm. and through to whatever's on the other side. On that question... What? I queued that up nicely for you. You did. You did that really well. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> that was. <laughs> what do you think is on the other side? I think on the other side, all we've got is that which we've forged in life, in the hearts mm. and memories of other people, and so that that's your legacy, really. And if you can leave some material things behind. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping to leave something in the form of books and um, children's television, but they'll all they'll all fade and be forgotten. And the people that I shared life with will eventually die off. And we just got to be comfortable that, you know, if we're lucky, we get a century. And then after that, you know, gosh, if we're all building monuments to ourselves or having other people build them for us, we're going to run out of space, man. Yeah, you know, or or the old stuff's just going to get forgotten, and uh, I th- I I think there there is much the same as there was before we're born on that other side. You get this little time on stage, and and off you go. So mm-hmm. so I think we're trying to sell people on the idea of an afterlife or any of these other things is kind of not making it through all five stages of grief. It's being stuck in the denial. Phase. Yeah. and I and I don't uh, I don't think I'd want to go to any of these afterlifes that are presented to us. Um, yeah, they they all seem like very strange places, and and a lot a lot of questions you got to ask, like what age are you in the afterlife, and how yeah. do you find everybody? There's a whole lot of people up there, and it's just getting more crowded. 
The pearly the gates. The pearly gates. I mean, gosh, can you imagine the queue? <laughs> God. You know, it'd be like it'd be like two meters, two meter apart though, and wearing a mask. <laughs> no, I think I think we'll chuck the mask. But it'd be like it'd be like going to Mecca during Eid. You know. Yeah, something to be said about sort of just enjoying the now, and I think we are so focused on you know what comes after and 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 where where do we go? I like to think that we perhaps linger but our souls linger instead of thinking so much of the afterlife. And that gives me great comfort to think that the people who have gone are kind of here with us um, in a certain way. Again, whatever that looks like. I actually had a thought though yesterday. Hmm? Do you think if people actually knew what the afterlife consisted <laughs> of, would you think they'd want to die less or more? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a weird. I've never thought about that. <laughs> well, there's a wonderful book I'm, I'm called Sum. I'm forgetting the author's name. Have you seen this? It's like a different vision. It's one of the great Lou books ever written. Okay, Sum. Sum. Oh. Some. Maybe I should answer that question with the with the author's name in mind. It's in my Lou. Can I go get yeah. it? <laughs> It's, I've got it, David, David Eagleman. David it's yeah. I give that book out to people who've been bereaved, but not right away. You know, I wait for a little bit. Mm. Because when you're in that space, and it's a big space when you've lost someone, as mm. you know. Yeah. You kind of see over the garden wall. You can see everything. And mm. then this is a kind of funny book on these I did these very specific, quirky, and somewhat disturbing visions of the afterlife. He just knocked these things out, and they're great. <laughs> Oh my god! I can't wait to read this. This is going to be oh, yeah. great. You'll you'll have. A I'm going to add this. Keep them in your gift drawer. You know. Yeah. They're ready to hand <laughs> out at a moment's notice. So let's start with your first song, Ted. What is your the name of your first song that you've chosen? And and briefly tell us why. It's the very first piece from Bach's well-tempered clavier, uh, played by Glenn Gould, and I became familiar with it through my uh, my ex-wife, Helen Cooper, who's another author, illustrator, fantastic, talented woman with a great many books to her name. And she, in preparation to give birth to our daughter, Pandora, she had us bring a lot of Glenn Glued, specifically these pieces, to the hospital mm. just to keep relaxed. And when our daughter was finally born this particular piece was playing and it just was the very most perfect piece for that that moment where something mm. is beginning and it's just like this it feels like the beginning of everything the beginning of music the beginning of life and it just opens up and Bach definitely had a connection with the sublime but uh, if there's any piece that that uh, is the kind of the start of it all, the origin, the Eden, it's this.
Mm. That was beautiful. You know, I can't hear that without remembering um, that baby going from purple to pink <laughs> while the sun rose. Uh, we were in the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead in London, and the sun was hitting the spires of Hampstead Village, and light was coming into the world just as she was changing color from this this purple squished up thing to a human human being it was quite it was quite remarkable it's almost like um i i think you know we come into life and it's almost like we've walked into a film 10 minutes into the film and we're kind of working it out and it's only when you're there when your first child is born is like you feel like you came into the beginning of the film and you go oh now i get it and then the whole story makes sense now a full full cycle moment i guess indeed yeah yeah. I was fortunate enough to be at my sister's first, so the first child of my sister's, uh, I'm saying that wrong, my, my sister's first child's birth. Um, not until the very last moment that, that, that my niece was born, but very kind of in the preliminary mm. moments. And I have to say it was one of the most magical and um, craziest experiences I've ever, <laughs> ever experienced seen or witnessed isn't it um it's incredible it's incredible um funnily enough when i uh as you know and and i watched well i i witnessed my my stepdad pa- uh, pass away and also my yeah. grandmother in the space of two weeks and funnily enough um witnessing a death was also very visceral and it really uh reminded me of like oh my birth. gosh, that's exa- I felt that exact same thing when I was with my dad when he died. I thought, I know this place. I felt, yeah. could it, what? Oh, wait a minute. Oh yeah, it's the bir- And it's, it's not just because, it's not because it's in a hospital. It's because of that same, it, it is the same place. Isn't that extraordinary mm. that you say that? Mm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just that energy, right? The same way we come into the world and that we leave, and and for my 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 grandmother died with on on morphine, uh, so it was a very, I'd say, a slow mm. and 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 sort of a slower exit, long more long winded, whereas Simon died a very visceral death with no medication or anything, and it was very very visceral, mm. um, and the sounds, you know, they talk about the sound of death which is ironically absolute silence but then they talk about you know the the death rattle which is which is such a loud sound and and it really did take me back to when my sister was like making all those loud oh God, sounds yeah, yeah. you know and 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 the panting and the and the and the breathing and the the restlessness all of that is just so like full circle and so yeah, so extreme. It is. They both um, involve a great deal of well, can involve a great deal of pain, and and mm. and I, I remember thinking at the time, there is no woman on earth who's given birth who could ever be described as lacking courage. It's just I was like, oh yeah. my god, I'm so glad I'm a dude. <laughs> um, on the subject, I guess of of infants, I'm really interested, and you sort of touched on it at the beginning, but I'm really interested to hear from you um, as a children's screenwriter and an excellent one, um, how you would, you know, explain the topic of death and how you would, how you would approach it. And I think, as you mentioned, with the five stages of grief, how did you decide to, or how did you illustrate that? 
Bing basically finds a balloon, gets a flop, blows it up for him. They put a face on it. They have a little fun. You know, it establishes this relationship with the balloon, becomes a mm. living entity. And, and then Bing, as so often happens in Bing's life, he gets a little bit over enthusiastic or gets caught up in his thing and pop, the balloon pops. And that's the moment where we go through the, sh- the the shock and the anger and the denial, and eventually the denial. The, 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 he puts Bing then puts this broken balloon. This is Flop's genius as a as a parental figure. They they put this pop balloon in the thing called the goodbye box. We made up this thing called the goodbye box, and it's the box where all the broken nice. toys and the stuff that you'd normally just throw out. You need to give it a little time in the family sarcophagus to, mm. you know, in the family mausoleum to before it eventually gets thrown out and draw a picture of the pop balloon in life on this box where drawn representations of the broken pen mm. and the, the car with no wheels or stay in this uh, family mausoleum. And then uh, there's a sense of the, the spirit of the balloon going up and up and up. And, and it, uh, it sounds kind of corny, but it really works. And when I've screened it with adult friends, they say... I don't know why, but I really feel like really moved by that. And they, they haven't, they've been played, you see, and yeah. recognize their own grieving, perhaps, uh, in this very small segment of the, it's a seven minute episode. And uh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that we came together to make that. And the animators completely got it. The director got it. The, the, the actors, it just was one of those perfect things yeah Moments. i'm really pleased with that i think it's so important and i think there's probably a lot of pressure i would imagine as a children's screenwriter uh and for all of the team that you have that obviously you know you're the super formative years of these kids and 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 you're educating them and you're inspiring them and you're teaching them things and so I imagine there must be a lot of pressure, but it also must be quite exciting to be able to approach topics such as grief and death, right? And 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 I think also it's a very important moment to begin these conversations that that haven't really been done with kids before, because kids don't really, you know, don't talk about it. Obviously, well, they don't talk about it between themselves, but we don't really tend to talk about this with no, kids. No, we don't. But don't forget, all of toddler life is is an operatic drama, spilling milk mm. or not going to bed. <laughs> so true. And and um, my original being publisher, uh, David Fickling, uh, a, a good and long-lasting friend and publisher of mine, um, he, he, he saw the potential for these stories early on when I was still just kind of taking the mm. mick. Of, uh, the, the Bing started off as almost like a satire, things going wrong, you know, things in kids' books for that age always go right, you know. So-and-so goes to bed, good night, you yeah. know, everything's fine. And I was like, that's not what it's like. It's like Fairy tale. Man, come on, I'm a... I'm a father of a toddler things go crazy they just everything yeah. goes wrong it is dramatic it's dramatic and everything feels like the you know you drop an ice cream oh my god could anything worse happen and then you have this yeah. wee look it's an ice cream and this anticipated joy and and it goes on the ground it's tragic it is tragic these are big tra- with nieces and nephews like i and yes it's you so gotta true. take them seriously because and it's hard to remember isn't it though because it's like mm. oh, here we go oh you okay and 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 I think that's David. Uh, David and I 
you know, he, he really pushed that. Take us seriously. Make this make this work. My nieces and nephews are in Spain. I can't wait next time I'm with them to, to binge watch oh, Bing. Good. Did you see what I did yeah, there? Very well. Clever. And it'll probably be in Spanish, too. Yes, yeah. Bing. Yeah, Bing. <laughs> it's Bing. one of those words that works in almost every language, which is why yeah. Microsoft also chose it yeah. for their search engine. But we were first. Yes. Um, so, Ted, what's your second song? And tell me why. My second song is by a composer who's little known outside of the organ world, um, a mm-hmm. Frenchman named Jehan Alain. And he wrote some of the most extraordinary 20th century music and sadly died very young, age 29, as an ambulance wow. driver in the Second World War. But, you know, he, he I feel like he could have been the next Stravinsky. He was well on his way. But because his music is limited to organ and piano, very few people have, have heard of it. And when I grew up, my dad, uh, he, he had bought this unfeasibly large uh, electronic church organ um, in right. 1959, like well before I was born, well, a couple of years before I was born, and put it in this small house. <laughs> it was just this mad, loud thing. And we all grew up playing it. But when I would go to sleep, he would play some extreme music, some, some the most ferocious Bach and this very dissonant Messian and blast it and my brother and I were right in the next room and it would just be part of our childhood but this one piece both my brother and I learned it and it's uh Litanis is uh it's a strangely Catholic piece about this kind of expulsion of prayer and and there's something very sublime and extreme and and mysterious about it and a piece that Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to have played That's, that blows the dust out the pipes. That was <laughs> that was an experience, Ted. Oh, when it's t- tough with organ music, you just got to see it live because you've got to feel the whole air moving around yeah. you. And we're so used Definitely. to it just playing church mm. music, or it, it's it's a crazy instrument, you know. So, Ted, so what what does one what would one wear to a funeral where such a such a <laughs> Such a tune is played. <laughs> I'm interested to know. Just bring it back to the funerals. What what attire would you like your guests to wear? Well, yeah, it's a it's a little awkward to be asked because I wouldn't want to prescribe something because then I mean we had a sort of wacky my ex and I we had a wacky wedding dress code where you know it was wear yeah. your favorite thing. Everyone wear white. No, it was everyone wear your favorite thing. Just wear your favorite clothes. Okay. So you know the bride, the the bridesmaid, the maid of honor was in a leopard skin dress, you know, and someone else wore <laughs> shark skin, and it was it was cool. Everyone was comfortable. So I like that idea of people being comfortable. But um, 
I mean, it was only since I moved to Britain that funerals became predominantly black. Like, you got to wear black. Mm. So I was kind of taken aback because I thought that was a... Really? Was it in, 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 in Boston? Do they not wear black in funerals? Well, the funerals there? I went to, they weren't. It was a bit more just like going to church. So, but it seemed to be more, it seemed to be more serious here. But I didn't go to a lot of funerals in the. Well, I haven't, I haven't been this, to that many funerals, to be honest. But uh, I'd, I'd like the idea of everybody choosing a color they want to wear and just dressing top to toe in that color with a little yeah. bit of black somewhere, a little spot black, you know. So, because a lot of people don't know each other at funerals, but it's easy to say, "Oh, yeah, no, like, oh yeah, you were the one in orange, you know, you're the one yeah. in blue," and 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 there's kind of a there's there's a funny sort of a feel when people are dressed. They would be dressed uniformly, mm-hmm. but just for their own color. So maybe they'd form like yeah. all the blue people might get together or avoid each other. Or I don't know what happened. <laughs> but it would be kind of. It would be sort of a nice way of dissolving the making everyone equal but different. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and they yeah, would yeah, they yeah. would they would all there'd be something to kind of enjoy about one another right from the start before they even got to meet each other. So I'd like to encourage that without prescribing it somehow. Well, I think, you know, and and, and this was touched on the first episode as Mm. well, but this idea, you know, this, the blackness has always very, wouldn't say baffled me, but it, but you know, it is, it's a very kind of dark color and, 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 and I'm very interested in the idea of breaking down these traditions almost, or well, not breaking down these traditions, but at least challenging mm. them and why they exist. And obviously, yeah, we've associated black with mourning and with that kind of moment. But I really like the idea of having a colorful funeral. Are you then aware of the, I'm guessing you are obviously after, as you've been here for a while, but sort of the concept of Absolutely. the wake. I wonder if in, in the States, do they have, do they oh, have a wake they have in a the wake. States? See, oh, see, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a mix of different nations, but the two most dominant ones are, are Irish and Lebanese. And oh, wow. so there were Irish wakes and we never got mm. to that dancing with the corpse thing. I, I heard about these, you know, back in the old country, like, yeah, they'd take the corpse out and dance with it. <laughs> Everyone would get absolutely Really? Off I didn't know face. that. I don't know how often it happened, but it was it was reckoned to happen. Um, but <laughs> Well, like picked it up? <laughs> well, yeah, picked it up out of the car, yeah. The dead person? Uh, apparently this was, this could be apocryphal, but I'm, I'm sure, come on, I'm sure it happened. Like I was yes. maybe... Somebody I mean, who's who's still living in Ireland can set us straight if it still happens, but um, uh, uh, yeah. So the wake was always weird. I, I didn't like the idea that you were all talking about the person and they were in the room. It seemed very bad manners, you know. You think you think well, when they when the coffin's open, that's that stuff mm-hmm, with the made up yeah. like ooh doesn't look oh that's weird. I never yeah. understood the idea of your last impression of someone you love being their dead body being made up in in the way that they didn't look Mm. like in real life. So, yeah, it's freaked me out as a kid. I don't get it. I think, mm. you know, once you're gone, just have some respect for the body. Don't paint it up and leave it open. That receives a lot of, I know that, that that receives a lot of reviews, actually, in the sense of there are a lot of schools of thought with that. Um, In Spain, they do that a lot. Like they actually have the body on show for for mm. three days, and I've I'm on I'm of the same ilk, and I've always found it very like I don't want to see the body. I've seen the body. I'd rather have a good memory. But I do speaking to actually Dave, the the guy from the Aura platform, my friend, and he was um, telling me how he spoke to an end of life doula who 
mentioned of you know somehow the, the very much the importance of being able mm-hmm. to see the body. Some people need it in order to feel that closure and to feel that they can pay their respects in a way. And so it kind of did make me think because I've as 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 you, I've always considered it to be a very you know unnecessary thing. But there are a lot of people who do believe that. They need that. In yeah, order, you I, know? do you know what? I think I sounded too judgmental. I, 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 I think. No, no, I, I completely like. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, some people. Everybody's death rituals are different, mm. and everybody thinks other people's death rituals are just really weird. There isn't anything that isn't yeah. a weird death ritual out there. Very true. I think for now, the the first thing that comes to mind is more like the Mexican ritual and like the way they celebrate the Day of the Dead mm. and all of that is like a you know it's a very unique experience to it and there is no right Definitely way no right way i think there's some i think doing there it. may be some things that are less right than others but how who am i to you know i can't mm, say that i, I mean I, I grew up in a tradition which often had open caskets but i wouldn't mm. want that for myself did it's only when i put my own father's i guess it was awake and then a memorial some months later together. And mm. it was it was very holy, even though there was no holy place to put it, because he he wasn't really a believer. And uh yet his holy place was this research library at his at this Air Force base where he was a research scientist. And as right. everyone else had gone online by the time he was he was like the he was like the la the, the oldest, most senior member of this research laboratory there outside Boston. And so the librarian knew him, and he was—it was his holy place. So we had a wake, in effect, in the in the library, and and I wow. was able to work with the U.S. Air Force <laughs> to have food <laughs> served. We had this Lebanese food served, and it was—and I didn't arrange for this because his friends at the Air Force base were very involved in this. They managed to work it so that uniformed Air Force personnel were serving. Baba Ganoush and hummus and, and kibe and everything in the flipping library. Sounds that it delicious. Was great. And we decorated the walls with some uh, these large colored transparencies of space phenomena. He was a research scientist on the atmosphere, so a lot of these these things wow. just had nice color to them. So we stuck them on the windows. So we had stained glass windows and friends speak. And so it was that finding the holy in something that wasn't recognized as holy, which uh, I, I find that those things can sometimes be the most meaningful because they're using a visual language and totems that are very directly connected to one individual or a small group who will mm-hmm. understand the significance of that. And that, that makes a place holy. Wow. I'm just processing that because that just sounds, in my mind, the way you're describing it, it sounds so beautiful and so respectful of your father, right? And in, and in accordance with who he was. It's respectful, but you're also slightly being irreverent by mm-hmm. bringing reverence to more humble yeah. locations and objects. And it's the raising them up to a place where they don't normally belong, which elevates everything rather than demeans yeah. the person that you're celebrating. Yeah, I was going to ask you actually. Had you? Do you have any memorable funerals that you've been to? Yeah, I guess this yeah. Well, would obviously a very be memorable. Up there. A very memorable one was a friend of mine uh, who was buried in a plot right next to his house because it was a church that was associated with the the family, and um, 
you know, it was good old fashioned English funeral with, uh, um, I'm forgetting the name, a well-known actor reading, doing some readings because he was a, it was a filmmaker for the BBC, the uh, mm-hmm. friend of mine. And uh, all the family around there, all definitely in black and a, and a coffin black. that was lowered with ropes and with dirt thrown on it. And wow. you know, real old school. That was, yeah, and, real and, traditional, and, yeah, right? And it was um, uh, lots of uh, friends and family. Uh, um, Jonathan Gilly, a terrific filmmaker. And to see that, uh, just to, it was my first introduction to a, a, a proper British funeral. Mm. We do proper British funerals and proper British wakes. For my grandfather, we we went all out on the wake and um, we got in some really good Italian food. And I just remember it being such a celebration. And I think that that's why mm-hmm. those moments are so important, right? Because like now when I think back to my grandfather's funeral, I remember it with such sort of warmth and, you know, fun times. And, and, and I think that those moments are so key yeah, to that, Yeah, they're great. Right? To, they are wonderful parties, except when it's, when it's a child. That's a tough one. Yes. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my first funeral very was true. a child, you know. I was two years older than the kid that who died. And very oh, boy, tough. That was tough. Yeah. Very mm. tough. Yeah, no, I was, that is, that is true. It's, I, think it, I think it gets easier the mm. older the person is right. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no, there, there, I don't know how you can, I don't know how to celebrate a child's life like that. It's just there's, mm. of course you celebrate, but how can this, the, the balance of celebration to sadness is just too heavily weighed to the sadness. I, I can't yeah. even, I, I can't even think about it. Yeah, mm. no, it's it, it's a very it's a very tough one. I mean, you know, my grandfather would sit and say, Jade. I'm nearly a century mm. old. <laughs> like, uh, let me live. Well, not live. Let me let me go. Like, I'm done. Yeah, let me go and you can have fun and enjoy the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd say to me, he's like, I'm nearly, because at that time I was 25, he's like, I'm, I've nearly lived four times your life. <laughs> and I'd be like, whoa. And I remember saying, in which moment did you prefer most? And, and isn't that funny that, of course, that brings up the question about, photos, you know, if you have photos at the funeral, which ones do you choose? The one, the, the recent ones, the young ones? You've all <laughs> ages, all of a sudden, they all, they're all equally viable photos of the person that you've, you've lost, you know? And it's a very mm. strange thing to suddenly realize, oh yeah, wait, hang on a minute. And you can not just, you cannot be in any time in your life. You can be anywhere you like, especially if you get cremated, which I, I'm, mm. I'm up for cremation, man, because it's the yeah. one time in your life you can be Several places at once, and the tickets, the, the flights true. are really cheap. He <laughs> <laughs> goes. Took a took a little took a little bit to get there, uh, but I got there. Yeah. Took my dad carry on carry on. Yeah. I was gonna. It was actually quite funny you mentioned that because um, when we prepared my stepdad's ashes, I did get a, a special box prepared so in case I would have to go away on holiday because we were gonna go to Spain, but then. 2020 happened mm. and I keep imagining the moment where I'm going through security and they ask me to put my stepdad on the conveyor mm-hmm. belt you gotta do it <laughs> you gotta do it or like sorry excuse me madam what's what's in your bag please oh it's just it's just my stepdad don't mind me <laughs> and they're so respectful you show them the paperwork and they they really exactly. respect they don't go poking around with a screwdriver or anything like that yeah, you know really no it'd be a great smuggler's ruse but uh yeah and I was thinking oh man I could have <laughs> 
what I yeah. could have brought through customs with that sealed box. Oh, well, anyway, but I took yeah. So you've you've gone through it. It's it's kind of doesn't feel. Did you? Feel I, so, I actually haven't. I just I uh, oh yeah, so you've gone, gone through, through it. it. Oh, you just, oh wow! Oh, I haven't. I've just, I've just like envisioned. Oh man! It. I hope you get to do it sometime because you, <laughs> the, the the opportunity for mischief. You know, it's just yeah. You know, just just you've got up my all street. the cards. You just think, I'm just going to enjoy this moment. You know. Um, I actually wanted to ask you. So you wanted to be cremated, but um, there are lots of things that then our ashes can be turned yeah. into. Like you can be put in like plants in ta- in ink to be made into a tattoo, um, fireworks. I mean, there's. The list is endless of possibilities. Do you have any preference with that? I love all these these things, fireworks or being part of a big festival. I think I think Mm. though, you know, in the end, the ashes are really for the people that do the scattering. That stay, stay, yeah, that stay here. Yeah, Yeah. and so you want to make it something that they can do. If they light it up in a firework, it's over. Whereas the the, (laughs) very quickly, and then you think, okay, well, he's all over this field. (laughs) <laughs> or wherever it is you've done it, now what? I, I, I'd, I'd like to be, you know, I think I want to leave it open enough. Cremation, mm. pour me into the Thames. Uh, some, into the Thames? Somewhere in Oxford, because I really... Ted, not the Thames. I'll tell you why, because Oxford <laughs> is... Uh, it's the greyest river. Gra- I mean, maybe because I'm thinking of the Thames, like, the kind of first image that comes to mind is just the really grey Thames in London, like in London, that I'm convinced so, has loads of dead exactly, bodies. Exactly, anyway. exactly. It's a party I mean, <laughs> there. So you know, but started in Oxford because I lived for um, 18 years in Oxford and absolutely loved it. Still mourning, not living there, but started in Oxford where I used to do wild swimming, and it's a bit dirty up there. Amazing. And then it'll flow all the way down, go past, go through London, and and off you go, and then join my dad who wanted to be again cremated and put in a body of water, but he didn't say where. So I put him in the Severn Bore in the Severn River, which is a, um, I think it's almost a unique phenomenon where the tidal part of the river backs up against the flow of the river and makes this like little tidal wave, which goes wow. upstream for miles and people surf it and kayak it. And Where is this? In the Sever- it's uh, in Gloucestershire, you see this. Oh, yeah. wow. He always wanted to see it because it was he knew the mathematics of it. And uh, for some reason, I just never made it a priority because only, only certain times a year in the, the equinox, you know. And mm. uh, and I felt like, oh, what a! I was so regretted not ever taking him to see it because we would have had such a ball. And so I put his ashes in it instead. Had this big apparatus rigged and went with a friend. So now he is. So there. he's there. So I'll join him somewhere. Well, he's in the Severn, but he's still you're still going into the same. In the, into the Atlantic eventually, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, Ted, what's your third song? And tell me my, why. My, my third track is uh, my written and performed by my brother, Brian, who's an extraordinary artist, musician, uh, just an amazing man. And we grew up both playing keyboard instruments and what have you, and, and, uh, and drawing. So... So, uh, but he, he really, um, there was a rivalry for many years about, you know, I suppose it was never spoken of, but, you know, we were both kind of competing, I, I guess. 
and uh, but but he's definitely the more pure artist. I think he he's gone places that no one else has gone, and wow. he's he he's made several instruments um, come to life, and he invented this thing called the electric zither, which is an extraordinary instrument. I I don't remember if we hear it on this next track, but plays his specialty is finding these old somewhat broken and forgotten sad instruments and bringing them to life kind of wrecked up Hammond organs or auto harps or you name it he's kind of rescued it and he makes or old synthesizers that are not Mm. very user-friendly and then makes some stunning music out of it and music out of it and uh and this his music's funny and dark but this one just went to the very center of what it means to be human, and it's a track called The Human Heart. Amazing. Let's hear it. In our day-to-day experience, it has always been conceived. In the operating theater, it now may be revealed. I saw the glistening human heart lying in repose So tender and so vulnerable, beating and exposed The human heart is a lustrous thing, a wondrous thing The human heart Look at the patient lying open wide It cannot hide the human heart By the way, this week's episode has been sponsored by Aura, a platform run by my good friend and his dad. Together they're trying to normalise the conversations around death by giving people the opportunity to plan and organise their end of life together with their loved ones. Basically, you can use Aura to store and share your end-of-life wishes, funeral plans, including songs, and some other really important bits related to both life and death. It really is quite something, so definitely check them out at www.aura.life. Right, now back to Deathbed Discs. I love that. I'm in pieces. Mm. I remember the first time uh, he played that for me about 20 years ago now. I'd, you know, I'd always loved his work, and but this was just beyond belief. I mean, I hate unpacking it. He'd hate to hear me unpacking it, but I mean, who else would be able to jump between the emotional and the spiritual function of the heart and constantly mm-hmm. bring in his, its function as a pump <laughs> and mm-hmm. and put them all on equal standing and to speak of it in all the things that are attributed to it. It's just a, it's just a, a work of genius. And, and my, my partner, Kadra, first time she heard it, not too long ago, uh, it had that same effect on her. It, it, it's, it's, it finds its people and then just peels them open like a banana. 
Mm. I feel like there's also a bit of an organ inspiration tone in the background. Am I Very right? Very much so. Yeah, I can't. I I think that's a harmonium, but it could be an accordion in there. It's. Uh, I feel like that would be your father's influence, right? With the organ. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely he's he's taken that <laughs> in too. It's it's a bit of DNA that uh, that dangles around. Yeah. The Duan curse. Beautiful. So Ted, if you could know how you die and when. Would you want to know? Oh, I'd like a, I'd like a few weeks' notice. Yeah, yeah. Would you? I'd like, I'd like a few months' notice to just clean up the mess, get rid of stuff, say goodbye, and then hopefully just pop off with a, a heart attack or something that isn't too violent, but uh, it's kind of quick. But sure, mm. wouldn't who wouldn't want to know? Wouldn't you want to? I know? don't think I would. Really, no. you just want to leave it a surprise. I think, I, because I, I, I wonder, yeah, I don't know if I want to know, really, because I don't know if I want to, I feel like it would stress me out. If I already get stressed about, like, you know, bucket list things and, 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 and making sure that I do things in life that I that I love huh. and all of these things, you know, and, 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 and I'm always not worried. But I'm like, am I going to have enough time to do all these things and, and, and whatnot? I don't know if I would want to have the stress. I quite like the ignorance ah, is bliss. Well, I, I suppose maybe that changes as you get older and maybe as your bucket list gets, as the bucket gets smaller, <laughs> then oh, it, yeah, up, yeah. Or it fills up like it, it's, <laughs> there's less of a feeling. I mean, okay, here's a good question. If you had to know, how much notice would you like to have? 10 seconds or 10 years or what? <laughs> 10 seconds. Right. Oh, so here we go. Wow. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd say a year. Okay. Yeah. A year. A, a year is a yeah. good time. Imagine the... 365 days. Imagine the growth that would happen. And, uh, okay. I wonder if that's... Maybe that's an interesting question to ask. How long would... How much notice would you like rather than... I'm going to write that like? one down. <laughs> well, you're going to have to know. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. I think a year would be... Good. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is something actually which I've been thinking a lot about lately and and which has sort of comes up a lot with, with certain especially with things like cancer mm. and stuff, but I'd like that year if I had that year and I would be able to travel the world and do all of the things that I would want to mm. do that I haven't been able to do, right? And I think there's a lot of uh, discussion around that when people are told that they are going to die, as was the case of my stepfather or things like that, and ensuring that that end of life is the best it can be, right? And how how we can help to make that happen. And, you know, because there's no, it's no fun if that last year you're in pain or you're suffering. Oh, that's it, yeah. I, I think, obviously, we all choose the pain-free final year of our lives. Yeah, true, if, it's true, an, if we can make that choice. And then be great to see the things that people have done there's uh i mean building a tree house i can think of all sorts of things building a tree build house a, as in you'd like, like to, to build, build a, a tree really house. cool tree house yeah mm. yeah with friends you know well, mm. that would be a lovely thing to do with friends yeah just like that's the last thing. just uh, then you've got uh I mean, okay, it's not like Christopher Wren where you have the cathedral. Just something something that'll kind of rot and people will grow out of and eventually burn when it becomes dangerous. You know, when somebody puts their foot through the floorboards, oh, we're going to have to take that old treehouse down. <laughs> yeah. Okay, another question. 
If you could come back as something, what would you come back as? Uh, yeah, I, I, the problem is being anything that isn't human is looks like hard work and it's cold and somewhat <laughs> disgusting. And if you had the awareness that you'd come back, you'd think, oh, really, I've come back as a gut worm? Come on. <laughs> I think, can, can I cheat and not be biological as I come back as something? Anything, oh, Dad. Anything is possible. Thank goodness for that. I'd like to come back as a, a fire festival, as a... I was going to say that documentary on Netflix. Uh, not that one. No, no. no de <laughs> definitely more sort of Burning Man. I'd like to come... But not Burning Man, I think, is, has, from all accounts, although I've never been, has kind of lost its way. But uh, mm, yeah. there's a group called Carabas that I've worked with, a French group, Compagnie Carabas, fantastic mm -hmm. group of what I'd call the closest thing we have to actual practical sorcerers on the planet. And I did a, I created the centerpiece for a festival that they put on in Oxford in 2007. And, mm -hmm. and it was using real fire, these thousands and thousands of what looked like ordinary flower pots without a hole in the bottom with uh, like wax and a rag uh, right. wick, but but done up in these amazing steampunk arrangements and chandeliers and uh, chains and, and machines with water and, and, and no barriers, which sounds insane. It sounds like a health and safety nightmare. And, and this was the <laughs> first time this group had set up an installation in uh, the streets of a British street. They had done one in a park in Manchester, but I kind of think, yeah, but this was not just any old street. It was the most contentious street in the entire United Kingdom, I should think, um, except maybe Downing Street, just because a lot of stakeholders, Broad Street in Oxford, where mm. there was a university and, uh, let's see, was there a church? No, but there were merchants and it was in a library and it was quite a pyrophobic area and, and one that was... Um, you know, and then there was some cars parked on it, so the cars had to be chucked off, and that was difficult. And the producer of the event, absolute genius, made everyone reassured this was going to be all right. I was a bit more unhinged and a bit combative and say, yeah, we're going to do this thing, and ha ha. Uh, but the spirit of the event and the way it transformed people, I'd like to come back as that, just to, to feel wow. all those things and to see what the entirety of that was like from the perspective of a living being. Because it, it did become a being, so when, when was this? This was 2007, and this, this group has since gone on all over the world to set up. They did Stonehenge in 2012. Amazing. So wow. I, I, every time they come to Britain, I go and see them. So, so that, that living thing. That, that energy. Oh, my gosh, yeah. People behave totally differently. Crime goes down. They, they, the, the space between people opens right up because you're dealing with something very elemental, which is fire with all the lights turned off, and with the public being trusted to decide what's safe. There's no barriers saying you can't go beyond here. You're just, if, if you want to stick your hand in that, that's up to you, mate. That's, and they, yeah. they, they, these, this group has done, you know, really hardcore cities in deepest Russia and they don't have problems. It, it, it's, uh, it's very strange. So wait, so let me, let me get it, let me get it right. So what did, so, so they kind of set up shop and then burn things like a bit of like burning man. They don't really burn things so much as they arrange thousands and thousands of giant candles as it were, or flaming pots of, of flammable material yeah. in, in, in these arrangements. Um, some are machines, some are fountains, some are big globes with, 
these these pots in them. And so it's a it's an installation, and it burns out after a few hours. And wow. uh, they've got chimneys, and they, they're all they're all kind of fire workers. And I've never experienced anything like it. And to be involved with these these people and some of the rituals and the, and 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 to feel part of that gang to feel the, the charcoal going through my veins. You know, I was out of my mind. That's beautiful. It was wow. great. Such mm. a, I was going to say, spiritual, spiritual experience. Very oh, spiritual. Oh, very much so. It, it was incredible. And everybody felt it. And, and uh, you know, there were a few people that thought, what's this for? You know, you get these very practical Protestant types sometimes. What is this for? You know, they don't yeah. understand. What's it for? Is it for some charity? It's like, no. It's just <laughs> like, it is what it, like, what do you mean what's it for? Like, it. It is. Like, what's a child mm. for? What's having a baby for? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross actually says, like, there's this moment that she says, to question things is to miss the point. And I think she's, she specifically says that about when people question whether their dead people come back as ghosts. And I think to that, it refers so well of, like, to question what it's for is to miss uh, the point, y- like, just to exactly. enjoy it. Exactly. And I think the producers, um, wonderful man named Simon Chatterton, really... Got it, and and a good friend of mine, uh, Philip Pullman, who really helped us get crack this difficult area because he mm. had credibility with his old college Exeter, and Exeter was th- the coolest of the ones. You know, we knew some outfits on the Broad Street were going to be harder, um, but slowly they they came to support this, and the museums did, and and it was a huge success, and wow. very. Uh, I could go on for ages, but it was a kind of spiritual. <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a high point and, and something that introduced me to a lot of these more unusual ways of sending people off. So you'd like to be that energy? I guess so. Oh, that sounds so corny. <laughs> no, it doesn't uh. at all. I mean, I say I want to come back as a dolphin. Oh, so. I thought about dolphin, but you really do. Yeah. yeah they look, they're always smiling. They look so happy. Yeah. <laughs> they're yes. so smooth. You never have to shave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or... Or an orca whale. I used to be obsessed with orca whales, um, thanks to Free Willy. So yeah, for me, for me, I think a dolphin. But I, I see. I think that energy that you're talking about, that fire. I think that's way. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Then you don't have a body you have to work worry about, or true, or fighting, yeah, and mating, and all that nonsense. I mean, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, actually, dolphins are quite promiscuous, so I've been told. So, I mean, hey, it's not that bad It's not that bad in life. <laughs> so, um, coming up to our penultimate <laughs> song, Ted. Right. So, what is your fourth song and why? My fourth song, again, it's coming from the organ world. It's uh, Henry Mancini, one of the great American songwriters, and a sort of melancholy song, uh, Days of Wine and Roses. And it comes from a film of the same name. Beautiful title. It's great. It's, but it's, it, I didn't know what it was about when I grew up. My dad used to play it. I think it was kind of something he, he dangled to try to remind my mom that once upon a time that there was a sweetness in their marriage and it, it had fallen apart. It's a, there's something wonderful about this song in that it's, it's, it has regret, but it makes regret sweet. And mm. so I don't like the version with the words. And, and I kind of knew about it. I didn't know the words. And then I went with an illustrator friend of mine, Peter Schrank, to He took me to see Jimmy Smith in, uh, in Camden years mm. ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, Jimmy Smith. You know, I got my mojo working. Yeah, that's cool. Let's go see it. 
and uh, and he ended with this number and I thought what the heck was that and I just fell in love with this whole all these guys from Philadelphia came out and you know in this 50s and 60s taking their church organs and Hammond and making them into something a completely different instrument so you get these kind of these machines that were never meant to play <laughs> gospel or jazz they were meant for the church and a cheap church at that and to rediscover much like I suppose my brother does with accordions and harmoniums and to take this instrument and find this whole new use for it and uh, and, and this this track was playing so there's uh, there's one particular heartbreaker chord we will just yeah he, he played this song yeah. last we'll talk about the track later amazing In the spirit of keeping things um, as ever lighthearted, do you have an ultimate last meal? It's definitely got to be a bagel. A bagel? Yeah, maybe with cream cheese, but just a plain bagel. In fact, I'd like I'd like this served at the the funeral. You know, like at the yeah, wake. like if it's not like maybe there's a proper meal, but if it's just going to be a sacramental food. It's got to be a bagel, and I think of the... T- oh, okay, this is a thing, in, in at least in the East Coast of America. Mm. You move to a new town. It's this weird thing. Whether you're a Jew or a Goy, it doesn't matter. The first thing you ask the neighbors is, where do you get the bagels? <laughs> because it's kind of like that insider knowledge. Oh, you go down here, and you know, and it's always mm. a specialist bakery, and it's something I've always done. And then, and then I moved to... Um, and, and in London, same thing. Where do you get your bagels? Oh, well, you know, Carmelli and Golders Green was the closest one to me. Okay, yeah, we go. Then I moved to Oxford, and I said, where do you get your bagels? And they kind of looked at me strange and said, oh, Sainsbury's? And I went, uh-oh, <laughs> this is going to be a problem. And because they threw the Jews out in 1283, you know, and the, the Jewish population never really recovered like it did in North London or East London. Oh, my yeah. God. So I kept a freezer in the fridge just for the few times I could get to London with a car or not with a car, get 50 bagels, go to call Carmelia, I'm getting 50 bagels, <laughs> you know, and the car would just go, wow, with the smell of these bagels. Bagels. Now my close, South London, is the, I live in Brixton now, there's no flipping bagels down here, I got to go to <laughs> the closest one, I can just about cycle to um, the bagel shop in uh, Brick Lane, and there's two right next to each other, that's great, couldn't you bring one down here, why do you have to have two really good ones? 
right next to each other. Well, Ted, you'll be very pleased to know. Do you know where I live? Well, you probably don't. Have a wild guess. You didn't just come down from Shoreditch, did you? No, no, I didn't come from Shoreditch. I came from Wilson Green, (sighs) which is very close to Golders Green. So we just lost the Temple Fortune bakery which i just found out it's just closed so it's just carmelli well look you know i'm not next I'm, I'm just saying you know how to <laughs> you know how to you know how to make your way into my heart is just show up with half a dozen of those babies you know, they, <laughs> i'll keep it in or, mind or just bring them to my funeral yeah I but it's a, it's a nuisance no doubt you'll don't enjoy go them. there on a friday because they'll have closed you know they, they close a lot you got to know your jewish holidays are you jewish my Grandfather was through my dad, oh, so like officially me. I'm not. I'm literally the same. Is that right? Yeah. So you're not really yeah. part of the tribe. My ex-wife is ethnically Jewish, although they didn't practice because she's a mixture as well of, of Irish on her dad's side and Jewish on the uh, mum's side. So mm. our daughter's officially in the tribe, but uh, this rabbi friend of mine. Um, my, my ex said, you know, if we get married, he's, he's got to do it. So you had a Jewish had a wedding. Jewish wedding, and my wow. current partner is is Muslim. So I'm an honorary Muslim, having taken the Shahada. So I've got all three Abrahamic traditions. To, I've, got a, I've got a membership card to all three of them. You know, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, my, my grandpa is Jewish, but he did actually specifically ask for a non-religious funeral. Um, which is very, mm. which I found very interesting. Um, like specifically asked for there to be no kind of religious, uh, yeah, no no specified religion to That's it. That's a good idea, although it does confuse people. But you know, I find that with mm. all the Abrahamic traditions, and uh, my partner Kadra's taught me a lot about Islam, and um, they all have good ideas in them and then they all have some really bad ideas and you just mm. think ah you know i mean i i love there's an islamic thing i didn't know about because when you grow up catholic you have original sin and it's a <laughs> sin a stain that you can never get rid of created by two people who didn't really exist long long ago that you had nothing to do with it and it wasn't even a sin in the first place <laughs> that if they had not committed it you wouldn't exist and and yet when you grow up you know a muslim baby you're absolutely innocent. You're completely, of course you are. You know, you're just born. And I think, oh, yeah. wow. And then, and then what I love about the Jewish tradition is it has a lot to do with time on earth. You know, there isn't this, it's going to be rubbish, but then you're going to have a great hereafter. You know, all, all the rewards come after you're dead. And um, so if you could just boil out all the garbage from the Abrahamic traditions and roll them up into one, you'd, you'd have something pretty good, but you'd have to do a mm. lot of boiling, you know? <laughs> Needless to say, I'm I'm still very much a a free thinker. But the but the imam who gave me the shahada, he's he's fantastic, intelligent guy who's very much a reformer. So you know, I just think, yeah, we're we're, we're stuck with all these these traditions. But my goodness, if if we could just figure out a way to graft on some new growth, without having to cut the mm. whole tree down, um, we might just get somewhere. But but until that actually happens. I think it's safest to be a free thinker and to take you, you know, your spirituality where it manifests mm. itself based on something you actually feel and not on a doctrinal. Yeah, I mean, way. at the end of the day, whatever religion you come from, it, it all ends up in the same, right? Like we will all like the dying is, you know, universal to everyone, and 
no one knows what the afterlife is no, really. No, but it's so. the people that make a claim for it and then sell that product yeah. and change people's behavior that affects all of us. It's that, of course, that's yeah, a, yeah. that's where you get into some some problems. Mm. As um is your partner being Muslim, what is there a, a different approach to to death in that way or is it similar? Well, it's very quick. You don't hang about. It's like you get this done. <laughs> boof. So obviously that's been problematic um during this uh Shut yeah. down, but uh, but well, oh, sorry. Wait, what do you mean in terms of the funeral? Yeah, yeah, you got to be buried oh, fast. Right, right. You don't muck about it. I thought you, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and I believe that's the same with Judaism. It's it's uh, you don't use as much embalming fluid. That's um fascinating. I have sort of to understand how different religions also approach the funeral process, so they don't have anything like the wake or anything no. like that. Don't the Hindus have a really good one? Don't aren't they the ones that burn, send them out on a lake and and set fire? A funeral pyre in the open, isn't that? They, can you get a license for it in Britain? I don't know. <laughs> do you know? I have to do. I I I should know more yeah. of this, but I am. I have yet to discover. Yeah. So Ted, we are coming up to our very last song on deathbed discs. Um. So what is it? And um, briefly tell us why. Well, uh, there's there's definitely a theme with all these tracks. It brings me. It brings people who I love close mm. by, and definitely. Uh, although I'm not close to Charlie Chaplin, uh, <laughs> never really got into his films. He did, or Bach, hmm? or Bach, or Bach. Yeah, you know, no Bach. <laughs> if when you're an organist, you have to sign up to Very this true. idea that he is the son of God. Oh know? well, okay. But uh, the but Charlie Chaplin wrote this extraordinary song. People know the song, but a lot of them don't know who wrote it, and it's a song called Smile. And the version I'd like especially is one, my, my daughter Pandora, when things weren't really, it was a sort of unhappy time in life, and she picked up the ukulele and learned this song of her own accord. Wow. And I could hear her sing it in the other room, and it became, uh, it, it's it's something that she, she would just tear you up with this song, because it's got, it's it's as sweet as sweet gets in the bittersweet Mm. Um, world and she played it. Uh, she we we went back to uh, just after we sold our house in in Oxford in 2019 in November. We Pandora and I took a trip to New York and then went to see the family. And my mum's twin was dying of cancer, and she oh. Pandora played this song with my brother playing accordion, uh, and and it wow. moved the family so much that when she actually died at the wake the two songs they played this was one of them wow. simply because of her performance and uh, during lockdown Pandora invited me to come with her and socially distant <laughs> play this thing in a, <laughs> an open field uh, with all these strange bugs that were flying around I've seen the yeah, video yeah there's a lot of insect and it's life. great <laughs> and uh, we sent this to for my mum's birthday so it's it's oh, Smile by, by Pandora doing with me in the background <laughs> Mm. Mm. 
There we go. You can taste those bugs. <laughs> it's such a positive, I think it's just such a great song to end on. And I think it's, there's so much truth in that smile, although your heart is breaking, right? And I don't know, just, it's so beautiful and so raw and so real as well. So my very last question, Ted, how do you want to be remembered? Well, that changes, and I'm glad it's changing. I think I think if I can extrapolate from my own experience, I think there's uh, I'd like to think that as you go through life, you learn to keep an ego in check. And I think when you're younger, you, you have to, you, you fueled largely by ego, unless you've got this extraordinary precociousness and understand the trouble that gets you into because you're trying to prove yourself in the world and say, you know, I want to mm. leave a mark. Wanna, and it's all about what you can do and um, how you're known and all that. And then I've noticed how that matters less and less and really the kindness has become such a important mm. thing rather than making an impression is that mm -hmm. it's it's far better to just disappear in a mist of kindness than to have set the world on fire as it were mm. and uh so that's been a re that's been kind of a recent change of of direction and so i've got some work to do because although yeah, I've I've left a lot of good deeds behind. There's the ones I regret are the ones that were came from a place of selfishness or ego or you know, just the stupid things you do when you lose sight of what it is that you're doing, you know, to to other mm. people. Or and and uh I think that's I would I would like to be remembered for that which the way in which I affected people's lives, mm. either through work or or directly through um, invisible acts or or hard or very un of kindness, yeah, acts of kindness or just that little thing that wasn't expected. Yeah, that seems mm. to be that's the way to leave, isn't it? Do you live by regrets? Uh, too many at the moment. Yeah, yeah. There's some that go back to when I was a teenager, and I just ah, oh, geez, you know, wish I hadn't done that. And I don't, mm. I don't know, I don't know how to how to how to cauterize those. Some are just well past the sell by date, and this American tradition of going back to high school unions is a great time to see, you know, like yeah. celebrate good times. But also, if there's someone you weren't very nice to, you say, ah, oh, you know, it yeah. still bugs me. Chances are they didn't remember it. It's really weird. It's like, oh man, all that time I was feeling bad about. That's just your own anxiety. Just, why didn't you tell yeah. me that thirty years ago? I've been hanging on to that and trying to learn from it. Maybe maybe when you really know you've learned from it is when they let go. I don't know. Maybe that's why they haven't let go yet, some of these things. And some are quite recent, yeah. so, you know. I think the answer is just not to go to reunions. <laughs> yeah, but those aren't <laughs> where the big regrets are, I think. Especially when somebody dies and you go, oh, man, look what I, look what I can't yeah. fix now. Oh. That's such a big one, actually, that comes out with Elizabeth, in Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book hmm. when um, she sort of details the... Uh, the stages of grief and how there are that that moment of there's the bargaining mm -hmm. phase which is that phase of like what if I had done this you know what if I had taken them to the doctor sooner what mm. if I had told them I love them more what if I you know that kind of bargaining phase where you think 
can I exchange something for something else, right? Yeah. Like, and it's 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 real. It's a real phase, and it's a real thing that we do as humans as well. And it's um that kind of like what if, yeah. right? Um, what if? And and the yeah. thing is, your relationship with the dead changes dramatically once they die, but you still yeah. have that relationship. I've even had a dream recently where, like, two days ago, saw my dad. Hey, Dad, no, I know you're dead, but I'm so glad we still have this mm. relationship. Gave him a hug. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's going all right. So uh, That's so yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. So we still keep, they're still around. They're not ghosts. They're they're in us. A hundred percent. Like, I am a firm believer in, in of that. And again, <laughs> to quote Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's mm. book again, but yeah, when that, that thing, exactly what you're mentioning now of, because um, sometimes my mum, when... When something, I'm convinced that Simon is at home and that there are moments where things happen and have happened, like the waft of the smell of a candle, which was completely like empty. And my mom and um, her best friend were in, were in bed and then they like smelt both of the, smelt it at the same time. Like things that I genuinely believe happen. And, but mom's like, oh, is it or is it not? You know, and Elizabeth comes and says, well, to, to, to question it is, is, is missing the point mm-hmm. and whether or not it comes in dreams or wherever it comes if that moment to you is comforting then that is perfectly valid and that's the most beautiful thing you have you know and and they do they that they, they are there they're with you I I 100 mm-hmm. um believe that and I think that brings me comfort so I would imagine it brings like yourself and couldn't other people it, couldn't comfort have put it better too. and and you haven't tried to sell an invisible product in doing so it's 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 a, it's a truth that cannot be denied yeah, exactly. Um, so what better way to end the show? Um, it's been truly, truly wonderful. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. It's been a pleasure and a privilege, Jade, I must say. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Bye for now. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Deathbed Discs. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and I really hope you can listen to the next one. If you'd like to write in about anything that we've talked about on the show or even want to send us your own song choices, you can email us at deathbeddiscs at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at deathbeddiscs. This show has been produced by Audio Commune and sponsored by Aura. And lastly, don't forget to tune into our Spotify Deathbed Discs playlist where you can listen to all the songs in their full, uncut and beautiful glory. Until next time, take care and see you soon.